Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people with dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Jackie Cation is one of my favorite stand-up comedians to watch live because she knows who she is and makes no apologies for it. That's also probably why Maria Bamford so much enjoys working with her on the road and why she's had a successful podcast for the past decade and running called The Dork Forest. Is it dorky to call your most recent stand-up special This Will Make an Excellent Horcrux? Is it dorky to know that Cation was a heckler before she was a stand-up comedian talking back to Sam Kinison? Before the club's management talked her into applying her trade in words at the open mic night instead? She recently started a second new podcast this year with Lori Kilmartin called The Jackie and Lori Show on the Nerdist Network. We talk about all that and more, so let's get to it! Jackie Cation, thank you so much for 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 being patient and, and sitting down with me here. I love uh, I love the whole idea. I hope that I don't lose my mind. I swear to God, I I just had a, my first diet coke in like eight months. I mm-hmm. went off diet coke. It's a fascinating story. It isn't as necessarily the story for a podcast. Actually, it may be the story for a podcast. Here's what happened. I decided to stop drinking soda pop. Yeah. Because I'm 100, and that's what people do when they're 100. They say, you know what I shouldn't do? Soda. Anyway, and you live in Los Angeles. So then, and I'm, and, it's all those know. harmful chemicals. Right. And so uh, I just I doubled down on the coffee consumption. Okay. And so now I don't have any coffee. Mm. I haven't had any coffee, so I had to have a Diet Coke, and now I've had some caffeine. I expect this headache to dissipate at any time. I've tried all the tried and true methods, by the yeah. way, to get rid of it, besides leaving my hotel room and finding the right coffee shop. So we're in San Francisco. How does, how does this experience compare to your first time on the road? Oh, my God. Sketchfest versus the first time I the was on the road? The first time you were ever on the road versus San Francisco Sketchfest 2016. You know, I can't even remember the first time I was on the first weekend. The first one nighter was always horrible. It was always like a Motel Six. Were that you first? Here's were you in remember. Wisconsin or Minnesota? Where Minnesota, were you? Okay. Wisconsin. I don't think I did any road stuff. I did borrow a car to go do a one nighter in Milwaukee before I had my driver's license. And uh, but my friend Kate was like, "Sure, you could take the car." And uh, and I was like, "Well, I have my permit." And she said, "Well, try to bring a licensed driver with you." So I asked several of my friends, and the only one who would go was the only other friend of mine who did not have a license. <laughs> and she was like, "I'll go if you'll let me drive one way." And so, <laughs> totally risking <laughs> Kate Kate Clement's car, uh, we drove to Milwaukee. I did stand up, and then uh, I came back, and my, uh, we picked up my stepmom. Who looked at both of us and she was like, who drove? And uh, I said, I did. <laughs> and she was like, well, I'll drive you to the gig because I live outside. I was from outside of Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. So she drove us in her shitty purple gremlin to the actual gig where my friend Jenny had to do her homework during the set and was sitting too close to the front. So the headliner... It's a fascinating story, but the the crazy thing is, is my stepmother, of course, got drunk and then drove us back to the house. And <laughs> two unlicensed drivers and one drunk driver walk into a gremlin. 
a purple 1979 gremlin. And, um, yeah. And so none of us were killed. And uh, and then she had no problem, by the way, of us getting back in the car and driving Madison yeah. from Milwaukee after she had come out with us and had a couple of adult <laughs> beverages. <laughs> I'm I'm... I'm even fascinated just from the beginning of that story where you said you were doing stand-up before you had a driver's license. I was 19. I was 19. I got my driver's license, I think, when I was 22. Uh, how, did, my, how did that happen well, outside of when, New York when City? When you're the youngest of six and your parents aren't going to buy you a car, mm-hmm. what does it matter? Why do you need a driver's license? And they also would not pay for driver's lessons. Okay. My father was like, well, I'm not gonna, you're not going to drive my car. And, uh, and so I learned, a friend of mine from high school during college taught me how to drive. And because um, I, I was about to graduate, so I think I was 21 at the time. And um, so I knew how to drive. I just didn't have a license yet. Okay. And that was in Madison. Madison, Wisconsin, where I finally did get my driver's license, failed it the first time, got it the second time. I blew a stop stein in the parking lot. And so the guy was like, you don't even have to leave the parking lot. I mean, I think it was like a trick so that they could just get through people. Right. And then get another $45 from you. And so, and... Uh, the test before the test. Exactly. And then, uh, and then I had a driver's license. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, you were at um, University of Wisconsin-Madison just before the onion started right there? it was like the onion was there it started i think my last year i graduated in 88 and that was and when they were just starting yeah they were as just a starting. campus periodical yes they were a campus periodical my last semester and uh my last year of college and it is to my eternal regret that i never met that guy when he was stoned and and drunk and working as a dishwasher starting a, uh, a newspaper in madison wisconsin and um but i didn't i didn't so so be it and uh <laughs> so then what happened then is i went uh so i'd done stand-up hardcore for like a year the right. club burned down and then i did as many open mics and, and and road stuff as possible and then i went and then i graduated in 88 and i went to europe for about three months very that's, drunk but that's the thing that, that college graduates do that's what you do you you get a backpack you get it together and uh and you go to Andy Kindler, wait. Where are you going to do it silently? <laughs> see you tomorrow, see you. brother. Where'd you yes. get that? Can I have that coffee? Yeah, not really. I'm, I'm so sad. Yes, I'd love a sip. Not the rest. No. It, no. She's been oh, in God. need of caffeine and sugar. I just needed caffeine, really. I didn't. Need, I don't need sugar. I just needed caffeine desperately. Like There's bamboo, and uh, yeah, okay. yeah. I, 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 I'll bring you coffee tomorrow. He's doing the dork forest tomorrow. Andy Kindler. Oh, is. very nice. And and now. Oh my god, it was so great! Right, right after Maria just blew up a late show with we're Colbert. at the Sketch Fest in San Francisco. Yeah, we're just—it's like dragon's teeth are being dropped in the lobby of this, <laughs> of, of of this beautiful uh, hotel. There's dork, lo- there's luminaries. Yeah. there's Andy Kindler standing there. There's Andy Kindler and no, Maria Bamford standing there. Say hello, uh, hello to the people. <laughs> there we go. It's Thank you, Maria Bamford. <clears throat> anyway, I'm being interviewed, All right, I'm gonna <laughs> and, uh, and I've stolen Andy Kindler's coffee. But I'll meet you in 20? Yeah? All right. Yeah, you have a heart out. Yeah, that's my heart out. <laughs> Murray and Bamford and I are going to play joke machine. It's going to be good times. We're going to tell, tell each other our new jokes. That's not a bad deal. something fun. It's not a bad deal when Maria Bamford's your heart out. Oh, no. Oh, that's good. Sounds vaguely dirty, but it is all, it is very platonic. Anyway. When was the first time you met Maria? 92. Uh, I think it was 92 or 93, uh, Minneapolis comics. So in okay. 90, I went to Minneapolis. Right. 
And then there well, was after you did, you graduated from college, did the Europe thing, did the Europe thing, came back, and I went to and I lived with my sister for a winter, and then where she was that? Desperately, Milwaukee in Milwaukee, and she desperately thought that I should have a real job with my degree, so she got me some great interviews at McDonald's and Pizza Hut and um, to be like a management track because right. I because I you my had summer the degree. jobs well my summer jobs had all been sales and then. The last couple of summers working at a hot dog stand in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And so uh, I had some food service experience. And so she was like, you could get a real job and you could still do stand-up. And I was like, okay, I've already graduated college (laughs) because you told me I kind of had to. And now I'm going to do stand-up. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go get a shitty job in Minneapolis where my brother lived. Is Uh, that how you picked Minneapolis? Yeah, because my brother lived there. Okay. You didn't know that it had a vibrant comedy scene at the time. No, and it wasn't vibrant. It was essentially a giant it was a it was a smash factory. It was essentially it ended up being really good, but uh the guy who owned the town at the time, he had five clubs and he was he was very Shelob in his lair kind of thing. It's a Lord of the Rings reference. But he's very like spinning webs and mm-hmm. pitting comics against each other uh. and it was a lot of drama for no as far as I can tell, even to this day, absolutely no reason. Because <laughs> it was so, it was, to- it was genuinely, hate to use the word, a little toxic. And, uh, but luckily, he was killed. No, he wasn't. He lived. He, he's fine. He's still alive. And, That's how uh, that works. They still live. Oh, he totally lived. His wife passed away. Very sad. Anyway, but um, <laughs> the guy who took over the comedy scene mm-hmm. has one club, and it is the most nurturing place on the planet. And that club opened in 92. So, that's Acme. That's Acme Comedy Company and Lewis Lee. So from 90 to 92, I got into the comedy gallery. And there was still comedy gallery until I left in like 96, 97. Okay. And then I moved to Los Angeles. Right. I, I first became acquainted with professional comedy in the mid-90s in Seattle. And all of the comics there, they talked about Acme in Minneapolis more than Los Reverend, Angeles or New York. And well, they ought. Because it's the best club in the country. And you could say I'm prejudiced because it's my home club. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think I'm wrong. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm still kind of wild that I strong-armed this cup of coffee out of Andy <laughs> Kindler. Uh, I'm kind of excited. He's done final work. I have to somehow pay him back. It's the power of having a microphone in your hand. <laughs> exactly. I don't think. For him to turn it down publicly. <laughs> I can't believe he gave it to me, though. I really have to figure out. All right. Are you trying to figure out how it. to do that more often? Uh, how to trick people into well, giving you, the, you their things? This is this is a well you could only go to a couple of times. Right. This is like this is the kind of thing you got. This is the kind of favor you could only ask like once in a lifetime. I don't think I could ever ask that again. Mm-hmm. He'd be uh, and and with good reason would say things like, "Hey, get out of your room." And go get a damn cup of coffee if you need a cup of coffee. Don't just get a headache and try to masturbate it away. Anyway, too much info. Um, how, how did you know at 19 that, that comedy was something you wanted to pursue? Oh, weird. I mean, the thing is, is we never, I never listened to stand-up when we were kids. and so That wasn't one of the things you dorked out on? No. When I was, when I was a child, we listened to motivational speakers. Okay. Zig Ziglar. My dad's a salesman. So we listened to a lot of that. And though I found out later that he had comedy albums and when i listened to him when after i started doing stand-up i started listening to his comedy albums and they were these kind of there was they were bob newhart adjacent they were like guys who had careers when bob newhart did but nobody i'd ever heard of and they were all jewish names and they were all guys in suits from the 60s 
and they were all kind of storyteller guys. And my father had stolen at least two bits from, and I confronted him about it. I was like, Dad, you can't steal material off of these albums. That's not cool. And I was 19, 20, and he right. goes, I can do whatever I want. I'm not a comedian. I'm a salesman. And he is correct. You can do whatever you need to do <laughs> to make the sale. And um, so I never, so the first stand-up I saw was when I went to college. I I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to act, and I and I and I wanted to write. What put that bug into your head? I was born with that, as far as I can tell. I always wanted to act and write. And uh, the first writing I did was uh, my brother Phil gave me a book when I was about ten called Harriet the Spy. Oh yeah, yeah. Remember Harriet the Spy? She had a journal. She spied <laughs> on people. And uh, so that I was had, her thing. That was her thing. So I was. I had a journal. I spied on people, and then I started navel gazing, and then it just became the greatest journal in the world, which I have always wanted to read aloud and never have, because it's uh, there's very there's some great parts to it, but I haven't really because I used to write. I don't know if you remember the TV show MASH. Yeah, Hard I not to. Uh, there was a character, Sidney Freeman. He was the, the shrink. Mm-hmm. And he had a journal where he would write to Sigmund Freud. And he... I, I played a game called Imagination so mm-hmm. much when I was a kid where I would just act out different scenes. And I would... Essentially, it was fanfic, but it was acting. Because I would act out and I would do mashups. Like... Um, I was like a character from a Tarzan movie, but I was on Star Trek's um, holodeck. You know, I mean, I, I would like do mashups of my favorite TV shows and movies, okay. and I would act them out. And um, my parents thought that I, my parents, like literally, and I was old. I wasn't I had imaginary friends, like a crazy person. <laughs> and my parents said. You're a crazy person, and they said that I was insane, and that I had to stop playing it. So you when were, I was ten or eleven, you weren't you weren't performing these professionally in the living room. You were just doing it in the basement. In the basement, and uh, and I was just because my job was to clean the attic, and then the staircase down to the basement. So um, and so when I got to the basement, I had all the time in the world <laughs> to just screw around because mm-hmm. all I had to do really was dust right. <laughs> the uh, washer and dryer and sweep the floor. And kill a couple of spiders. And so, um, and the the furnace was this old furnace that had these two, like these these great like handles on it that made me think of a time machine. And and so I had this time machine and spaceship. And and so I would travel everywhere and I'd act out these scenes. And my stepmother told me years later, she said, "You realize that I could hear everything through the books, <laughs> absolutely crystal clear." And I was like, "Well, that's unfortunate." <laughs> And she's like, you were very creative, but it was, you were such a solo child that we were very, we were a little worried about you. So they told me that I was crazy because they were super subtle. And, <laughs> they, uh, they were not encouraging. No, no, no. And so I started a journal and my journal I wrote to Sigmund Freud okay. because he wrote to Sigmund Freud on MASH. Well, there are shows now where you could read from your journal. Right, like Mortified and stuff. Yeah. And they actually read some of it and picked some stuff, but it never came to anything. Okay. So it never, whatever. Well, that could be the next podcast. Oh, sure. Now I, that you except have, for I have two podcasts. Now that you have two. I don't, I, I, I'm good. 
You can have your own podcast network. (laughs) That's just your podcast. (laughs) Right? Just me. I tweeted something today. I'm like, I've done so many other people's podcasts Mm -hmm. and my own podcast. I have no idea what stories are recorded, what what secrets I've told to people. Mm. I have no idea what what I've revealed. I sometimes get a clue because someone made a Wikipedia page about me. Yeah. And it's got way more information than if I would have made it. Let's say that. Is it all true? It seems I haven't looked at it in a while. There's a woman who doesn't like me, who has Wikipedia skills mm-hmm. and always puts a terrible picture of me up. So you will know that she has been back. And uh, <laughs> if you have any Wikipedia pages, please feel free to pick one of my headshots and replace it because I don't have any Wikipedia skills. And uh, but I uh, I didn't know I had like I didn't know I had a Wikipedia page until I did until someone told me. Okay. And then about six eight months ago, my brother was like, "Did you know you have a Wikipedia page?" And so. I was just talking to him on the phone, so I googled. You know, I I was like, "Yeah, how's it how's it looking?" And it was genuinely the worst picture of me in the world. And I was like, "Bummer, she's back." And uh, <laughs> not a fan. Not a fan. Not a fan. And and I will say this for her: it is an actual picture of me. Like it's not like a not picture of me. Right. It's just not the greatest picture of mm, me. Which that's will unfortunate. Happen. Yeah, yeah. Because you because you could say, "Hey, that's not me," except for sadly. It's just a really shitty picture of me. <laughs> One of the stories, I guess, that you told that showed up on your Wikipedia page says that uh, part of your origin story involves heckling Sam Kinison. Yeah, that I mean, that was before you actually performed. Yeah, it was. It was what got me into it was because the manager told me to shut up, and he in in the course of telling me to shut up, he told me that open mic was on Sundays, and so three weeks later, I went back and I. Um, two weeks later, I went back and tried to do open mic, but I got nervous, and so I started doing shots. Mm-hmm. And then by the time the show started, I was hammered. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I decided not to go up drunk. And then the following week, I went back, and I white-knuckled it, and I went up, and I was addicted. Just It was like what I assume heroin is, <laughs> because I, I, I did stand-up for eight months until that club burned down every single night. I got a 1.8 that semester. And... Um, and I got paid ten bucks a week by Sam Kinison's brother, Bill Kinison. Now, how did that? How did that compare to the basement solo production performances? They were yeah. good, even though during that eight months, I performed for one guy one night. His name was Joe. I still remember his name. And uh, so that's he was almost polite. like the basement show. It's a lot like the basement show. It's very a lot of solo work, a lot of solo work, just kind of plugging along. But it was, yeah. So I mean, do you know how you um, you just try to. You just wanna, you just wanna perform. I was just talking to my dad. My dad is, he's uh, getting older now, mm-hmm. and my father has always been a horn dog and a and a ladies' man and this type of thing. But it never, like I'm his daughter and my sister and my brothers. He, when we were children, he never cursed. Very rarely, right? Like he right. never. I was brought up not to curse and right, and well, manners he, and courtesy. But, but and... my stepmother would curse, mm-hmm. and um, and she was hilarious, and she was smart, and she was. I get a lot of my sense of humor from her. I get my okay. timing from my dad, but um, but my dad has recently, like, started telling me kind of off color stories, and I'm like, the hell's going on? I don't need to. I don't ever. You could you could have kept this one with you forever, Pop. Yeah. And uh, and he's like, well, it's not like you're 16 anymore. And I'm like, no, I'm a married lady. You, I get. And he's like, you, you get that joke? You get that? And I said, yeah, yeah, Dad. 26 years in the business, I'm going to get a dick joke, Dad. It's all going to work out for me. Question is, 
was it an original Dick Joker? Is he still oh, stealing? Did he take it off is he the, still stealing material? I'm pretty sure he's he's uh, he's cobbling together a bunch of different stuff. He you know he thinks he he's written a lot of stuff. There was a guy. There's a guy, uh, Dylan Brody. I don't know if you. Mm-hmm. He's a spoken word guy, and he's do, he used to do a lot more stand up than he does. And he wrote. He called me probably six or maybe maybe ten years ago or fifteen years ago now. And um, he said, I have come up with a joke that I think that I hear in your father's voice. And, <laughs> and so I told that joke as a joke. And I still mm-hmm. use that joke because it, it's a great interstitial in between mm-hmm. jokes. It's a good segue right. kind of thing. And it's a great joke. There's nothing wrong with that joke. Uh, it's the one. It's uh, give a man a fish. That man knows where to go for fish. Teach a man to fish. And you've just destroyed your market base. <laughs> That is a joke that Dylan Brody wrote. Okay. My father, certain he said that. <laughs> and that's really. That's how close to his voice it was. Yeah. He took yeah. it as his own. Right. And the power of storytelling. As I've always told Dylan Brody, I was like, that is uh, very powerful. <laughs> now, I heard you say on your own podcast, the new, the Jackie, oh, the new and, one? The Jackie and Laurie, that you kept a day job until a long time. Why? Yeah. Because I. Have a, I, my early childhood was fraught with peril. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of evictions and moving and no food and the electricity would be out and bad things. So I always had this sense of, I like stability, right? Mm-hmm. And so in 2003, I did a Comedy Central half-hour special. And then, at which point... I don't know. I believe one of my friends probably... I don't know. I remember th- someone telling me, hey, uh, pick a lane. You got to you, you, do it or don't do it. At this right. point, I think you could make a living doing it. And I was like, I was very nervous about it. You were just on the television for a half hour. Right. You ha- you got a giant bag of money. You got a bit of a nest egg. Except for that, I wanted to take that nest egg and go to like Jakarta. and Because uh, I decided that I was going to blow it. But everywhere I picked... A bomb went off, and literally the next four. Yeah, Jakarta hours. seemed like well, I I studied pick. Southeast Asian studies okay. in in college, so I've always wanted to go to Jakarta. And uh, have the, you been yet? No. Okay. I went to Hong Kong last year. That, that was counts. very cool. exciting. And um, but the yeah, so uh, like I wanted to go to Cairo, and they lined a bunch of people up and killed them. Yeah. I wanted to go to Jakarta. They killed people in Bali. And then, um, so I, so I eventually just, I was like, well, maybe I'll go to New York City and spend a month in New York. And so I ended up uh, living on my friend's couch for almost three months in New York and, uh, and did sets and had, had the time of my life. I'd never spent that amount of time in New York. So it was really educational and helpful and, and really fun because of the amount of sets you can get. What did, what did that experience teach you that, that Los Angeles and Minneapolis hadn't? Well, you know, there's so much difference. You know, I think if you listen to the Jackie and Laurie show, I think we were talking about this the other the, one of the other episodes about how the difference between New York comedy and Los Angeles comedy versus the road, where you learn different things. And in Los Angeles comedy, for me, it's it can be a little more gentle. Like I can find, I can find sort of softer comedy in Los Angeles if I'm there for a long time. In New York, I can find the punchline really fast which is great and in on the road i can hone i can hone both of those things and so whenever people are like well no comics are this or 
people who just do New York are just like they're just too to this, and you're like, yeah, except for that they have there's their real skills, you know. I mean, I don't, I don't have a great deal invested in you have to do the road. I mean, that used to be a thing where mm-hmm. well, you don't do the road, you're not a real comic. You're like, hmm. You don't do the road. It just means that you don't have to deal with water bugs uh, that are sometimes on your carpeting. So in yeah. weird hotels in the middle in, of nowhere. In condos. Yeah. Or, yeah, there's no condos anymore. Oh. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done with I condos. mean, they still exist, though, for other They do. They, road... are, they are blessedly f- phasing out. If there okay. are uh, club owners listening now, uh, make a deal with a La Quinta, please, for the love of the baby Jesus. Anyway. <laughs> La Quinta's a, a pretty decent. It'll do. Uh, Basic it, chain. La Quinta's fine. Yeah. I mean, the Super 8s and the and the, the Motel 6s are still bad just because right. the, the blankets are really thin and there's always cigarette burns all over the place. And you're like, no one's been allowed to smoke in any of these places for years. <laughs> you're still rocking these. <laughs> so staying at a place like here in San Francisco, the Kimpton Buchanan is... Right, fancy pants. A mile central. apart from that. Yes, it is. It is gorgeous. And you know how long it takes to get used to really nice hotels? Just once, <laughs> turns out. Just once, and then all of a sudden, you have turned into Marie Antoinette, <laughs> where you're like, "I'm gonna need that." <laughs> how long did it take you? What was that day job that you gave uh, the up last, in tw- my last 2003? Day job was a closed captioning company in oh, okay. Los Angeles. A lot of comics. That's actually, a good. Yeah, that's a good did, kind did, of creative. Matt Bronger and Kyle Kinane show both business. Did it. Yeah, part time job. I'm missing somebody too, but I didn't do closed captioning. I don't have the grammar skills for it. Plus, I knew better because if you do the closed captioning, you get a, you get assigned certain um, uh, shows, mm-hmm. and so you are responsible for those shows. Oh. So you can't. You are you are not expendable. You're I, locked in. Yeah, I was admin. I just did administrative traffic, logged things in and out, digitized when there was things were still on three quarter inch tape, digitized stuff and 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 made files and sent files and and did some essentially customer service, and um, yeah, any a, a, just a really smart monkey could do that. So, uh, and that my boss was. Uh, a friend of mine now, and but one of the nicest, um, one of the nicest, uh, like really supportive, you know. And she would let me go on the road for two six-week runs. Oh wow! Or one ten-week run. That's and not just a Thursday through Sunday. That's a no. What I would week. do is I would go out of Minneapolis, crash with my brother or sister, mm-hmm. and then just work out of Minneapolis and just do road. And then just drive and, and do road. And the weird thing is, is she would and I and I still had two weeks vacation. I still had full dental and, wow. and all the, and but the she wouldn't she would only pay me for two of the weeks of the ten or twelve weeks I took off. Mm-hmm. And then they just get a temp. And it was and it was so funny when I finally quit that job. <laughs> it's my favorite story because I go into her office and I'm like, 2003, my half hour special. I'm like, you know what? I and it's about to air. I think it's going to change my life. It did not for two years. And because uh, it took two years for people to really see it because it wasn't on like they didn't play it 24 right. seven for the love of God. Right. And so but the thing is, is so I go into her office and I'm like, hey, I'm I I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit and I'm going to do stand up full time. And she actually said to me, are we not being flexible enough? <laughs> And I was like, oh, my God, Deborah Schuster. Uh, the only <laughs> way you could be more flexible is if I, you just kept paying me. <laughs> and, and you quit. And I quit. <laughs> and then somehow I would just, if you needed someone to sub at, like, the Christmas party, which, I, by the way, I did for years. 
when they would have a Christmas party and mm-hmm. everybody would go out to lunch, I would man the phones. And she would give me 20 bucks. <laughs> and I was like, that's fine. Yeah. I suppose having a boss who's that flexible, though, that makes it difficult to change, yes. to pick that lane. Because you're like, well, I have this medical and dental. and It's amazing. You don't was, get that as a stand-up comedian. You don't get that. And I mean, I maybe I with the Affordable Care Act, with Obamacare. Right. I'm the worst. You're supposed so. to now. Well, I do have, to, I, ha- I don't have dental, but I have But you're I have at least medical, basic medical care. I have basic medical. And it's fine. And it's, I don't. My primary care physician is a chiropractor. So <laughs> my husband uh, repeatedly says to me, have you thought about talking to Western medicine? <laughs> because that is actually an actual medical issue that what you're dealing with there. I'm a middle-aged uh, lady now. I've got middle-aged yeah. lady issues. Too much info for you. That's what happens. When yeah, we, it turns out. We, TikTok. We move into a different demographic. Yeah, there's a different demographic and they got to do the big peak. And they got to search around. You know, you got to get your tires rotated yeah. and your oil changed, and um, and so everyone's like, and I, I have tried. Nobody wants to talk. Here, nobody wants to talk about this, including me. Except for, for some reason, I'm going to strong arm my way into it here. <laughs> Is that nobody wants to talk about middle aged lady time? And it reminds me of when I was 12, and I was, and I had my period, mm-hmm. and nobody wanted to talk about that either, including my stepmother, who handed me a tampon with no instructions. And I'm like, and I tried to jam it up me, uh, applicator and all, mm. painful. Uh, 12-year-old. They really uh, should have had instructions. Yeah. Well, yeah. and back then, because you're a middle-aged lady now, when you were 12, you couldn't Google that. Google was well, there's not a no, thing. There's no Googling There was not it. a thing. There was and no Googling it. It was so not in a dictionary. I just, it was told not her, in a I just told my stepmother that Encyclopedia Britannica. Right. They did well, we, not put that a, in. We actually have it. In, we had a... We but they had, didn't put tampon instructions in the encyclopedia. Right. Well, and I didn't even think of that. Damn it. I wish I... Now I want to go... We didn't have the Britannica. We had... um. World book. World book. We had world book. We had 1965 world books. We had 1970 and to, something. And world I used books. to love looking up the space, uh, the space plan. They talk about how one day we'd make it to the moon. I used to look it up all the time. It cracked me up regular. I was a, I was alone a lot as a child. <laughs> well, uh, that's. I'm very social now. But middle aged lady talk. That's one of the the impetuses for. The Jackie and Lori show is it right? Not? It is. is. Matter of fact, we that is to make a, sure that that gets that that, that gets uh, piped sent up out into the right because Lori Kilmartin is like, let's talk about it, and I was like, well, you have a job, <laughs> and because she writes for Conan, Lori right. Kilmartin, she's an amazing comic. I genuinely, I don't, and I work very hard. I'm not saying I don't. I've never seen anyone who works as hard as Lori Kilmartin because she has this job right where she writes for the Conan O'Brien show. Correct. She also has a nine-year-old son. She also does stand-up at least four sets a week. How? How? And then when she has hiatus, she goes on the road because she needs to do road time because she wants to keep up her, you know, her long set, you know, which is great. Have you gotten to the episode where you find out how she does that yet? No. Okay. No, I don't know. Uh, The next episode, I think, is Monday. Okay. And then we haven't recorded another one, and I'm on the road a lot. So I'm really hoping that we yeah. can squeeze one. We, get, you know, the thing about podcasts, <laughs> consistency. People like consistency. They do. Yeah, and I don't begrudge them that. I don't blame them. I mean, that's but that's that's the internet as a whole. Yeah. I know from from being a content creator. Right. If I'm not putting new things on the website every day, people will stop showing up. Right. They're like, oh, I get it. They're done. <laughs> and you're like, like where's well, the new thing? Where's the new stuff? Yeah. 
Where is the new stuff? Where is the new stuff? So I know you have to go. Yeah. What is the, I ask all of my guests this, what's the last great advice you've received that's kind of helped you power through Oh yeah. the middle age period of your life? Yeah. What's, um, what keeps you going? Well, that's that's a better question because I wish I did have. Uh, I do get I do get good advice. Uh, f- like Kilmartin's great for for sort of having, like a sort of a the 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 best thing Kilmartin said in the last uh, couple of weeks to me, Lori is, uh, and we were just talking about joke structure, and she said she was working on this new bit, and the laugh kept moving, in the joke. Mm-hmm. She wasn't doing the joke any different. But the laugh kept moving. And I was like, that describes exactly what the problem of writing a joke is. Because sometimes the laugh moves and you're like, the hell am I doing? Am I inflecting it differently? Am I, did, I, did I switch? And the thing is, is you can switch the wording. It's why it's so important to record, which I do and then don't listen to. Uh, but I do have an iPhone 4, so I'm hoping. <laughs> and, uh, that, that has I voice memo it. technology. It's, got, it's pretty great. And, uh, but the... But the best, the the way I keep going, there's the the best advice that I remind myself every day, is to ne- is to never get bitter, which is good because now it's kind of just a muscle that I you know I understand from people who work out, I I don't do it myself, uh, but the uh, I understand that 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 you have muscle memory right, so I have been practicing since I first heard, don't get bitter. Do not be bitter because it is, it's an insidious trap. Like you see other people around you getting stuff and that's just true for any job. Right. And you want, you want the thing. You're like, well, I'm as good as that person or I work as hard as that guy or that guy's terrible yeah. or they don't that deserve guy's it. an idiot. Either they don't, they do- don't deserve it or I do deserve it. Right, right. And, and while both of those things can be true, uh, you're still not getting it. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, but what you do get to do is the thing that you like to do. And so that, that's what I remind myself is that I get to do what I get to do. And that's, um, that's the real, uh, that's the real reward. And, and everything else is kind of gravy. And did, did you hear Dana Gould's speech from Montreal? I did. In 2015. That's a lot of. Yeah. Yeah. Which his is, wisdom you, was. Well, and you can tell that he's been telling himself that for 25 years as well, which is, I think. So I would recommend that small speech to yourself. <laughs> Every time you feel that, that sort of twinge of jealousy yeah. or that, that feeling better than or whatever, just try to remind yourself you get what you get and be grateful for what you do get because some people don't get what you – as Lori and I were talking about, um, you know, she was talking about what she wanted out of her career otherwise and, and I was talking about what I wanted. And then I said, you know, we have to remind ourselves that both you and I have careers that – younger comics would give like a, a, a arm for we have like amazing careers and you know you always want more and you always there's never enough i don't know why it's humanity i guess but um but and you cannot complain down you have to complain up or lateral because right. nobody else wants to hear it nobody wants to hear it please do not complain to your friend that you didn't get on television this year who's never been on television yeah who 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 can barack obama complain to uh, it's going to be hard. He's got uh, he's got Clinton, and then he's got to talk to one of the Bushes, which is uh, unfortunate. <laughs> you could talk to Carter, I guess. Anyway, so when uh, when a younger or or someone who's not yet a comic comes up to you, what's the first thing you would tell them? I have this inspirational advice that was given to me in '86 
uh, that's on the front page of JackieCation.com. Okay. And so you scroll down, you'll see a hot mm-hmm. link that says Inspirational Comedy Advice. And uh, it, the actual copy of that is hard, is uh, written out and framed in my bathroom. And it's I, I send them that because it's it's full of great advice about about because what I would say, you know, I say the same thing everybody says, which is don't forget to get up on stage because you're going to want to get up on stage. That's how you do stand up comedy. And then you get up on stage as often as you can. And then I, I also say that if you need to take a class to because you want to do it, but you're scared or you're you're confused or whatever and you have three hundred dollars. Go for it. But don't let anybody tell you what to write. Because you're going to write stuff that is about you. You know, you're going to write stuff that's from you. So if they're telling you that what you're writing is is wrong in some way, mm-hmm. unless it's hate speech, like a crazy person. Uh, then run for president. Then, please, there's there's room at the top. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> But yeah, but don't let anybody, you know, just keep writing. Right. And keep performing, always. Well, Jackie Cation, thank you for sitting down yes. and sharing some of yourself with me. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Last things first. Last things first.